Pray with me tonight. Well, first, before I pray, let me just thank the saints who stood in my stead on my brief sabbatical. I'm just so delighted for every elder minister that stood in the sacred desk. And my goodness, we've had some great teaching and preaching. And I am delighted to be able to take that moment and recharge and refresh and reinvigorate so we can run on and do this journey together. And I'm excited about what God has done. Each teacher, each preacher did what God would call them to do. And we are blessed in this house with the elders and ministers, deacons and deaconess and trustees that are in leadership of the family. God bless each one of them. Pray with me. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this worship tonight. Thank you for Bible study. Thank you for the anointing that rests upon us. Cover us with the blood. Use us. Speak to us. Speak through your servant to your people. And let your people hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm returning to the theme that we've been working on, living faith in stressful times. This is part 10, living faith in stressful times. And the Lord knows these are stressful times. I want to lift up a passage. I'm going to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 29, kind of to set the context. So let me read about the first 10 or 12 verses there to set the context for the entire talk that I'll give tonight. Genesis 29, beginning at verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there. They would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with his, her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Well, what a beautiful story. This is the introduction of Jacob to what would be the love of his life, Rachel. And you can find in there that beauty of the first finding her and seeing her. And of course, you know, he's mesmerized at the sight of her. He's excited about her. But Jacob has a lot of things going on in his life. He has witnessed the gift of God, the move of God in his life. God has met him by that wonderful place of the rock and that he turned from a 
pillow to a pillar, uh, P-I-L-L-O-W to a pillar, P-I-L-L-A-R. And, and, and God has made a covenant with him. He's a covenant with God. And now he's been sent on his way to this place. And here he's going to find his bride and going to begin to create the next generation that God is going to work with and work in. But as we talked about last week, last time we, we, I taught this, Jacob has some luggage. He's got some baggage he's carrying. It's not noticeable. You can't see it. You can't, you can't see it on him, but it's there. Jacob has done some things wrong. He has committed some things that were offensive. And those things are like baggage on his life. He can't get away from it. He can't hide from it. They are there. God knows what he's done. The universe knows what he's done. And so at some point, the arc of the moral universe is going to bend towards justice and Jacob's going to have to deal with his life choices. And he's got to deal with them in a very stressful, difficult time of his life. And I said to you before we stopped the other week, I said, never forget your choices and usage of free will matters. Never forget, your choices and usage of free will matters. People always talk about what's sin, what's not sin, what's right, what's wrong. Remember, whatever choice you make has a specific outcome. Something's gonna be the end result of it, it matters. You have to be careful what you choose to do, where you choose to go, who you choose to be with, who you want to be around, who you let in your inner circle, who you let in your life, who you let in your home, what person you decide to be intimate with, what person you decide to be close to, what person you take into your confidence, what person you decide that is, they, they are due to be intimate into your family circle and around your children because every choice you make matters creates a string of other things that take place because you went down that pathway. This text points to what I call the duality dimension of life. The duality dimension of life. I can't stress enough how important it is for you to recognize the duality dimension of life. That is, life is always lived multi-plane, multi-plane, meaning you live in the physical, but life is lived in both physical and spiritual world. So life on earth is experienced in the physical with an ever-present spiritual component. Life on earth is experienced in the physical with an ever-present spiritual component. There's always something going on in the physical realm, and there's always something going on in the spiritual realm. There's always something going on in the natural realm. There's always something going on in the spiritual realm or the supernatural realm. Keep in mind, each component, 
that is each aspect of life functions on rules set by the divine best known as natural law and spiritual law. So there are rules. Violate the rule, you end up get dealing with the punishment. Honor the rule, you end up having the benefit from the rule. Most of us have spent our life trying to figure out, unfortunately, how close can I get to the edge of the rule without getting penalized? What can I get away with rather than what does God desire of me? I, you know, we, we want to know how much can I play on the, on the railroad tracks before I get run over by the train. Now get this, saints. Violation of the natural law are penalized in nature. So whenever I violate natural law, it's going to be penalized in nature. Uh, I, I'll give you a simple example of that. Uh, we talked we talk to uh, drinking bad water, non-potable water. Well, that's a violation of natural law. Your body is not a, a good filtering system for non-potable water. So your body's going to respond to it. You may end up with Montezuma's revenge. You may end up going to the restroom. You may end up regurgitating because you have violated a natural law. And of course, now you got to deal with the consequences. It's like eating bad food. You eat food with poison in it, you may have to deal with it. It's sometimes why we try to help people learn how to bless their food and not just dive in because we want God to rebuke any impurities as well. Violations of the natural law are penalized in nature while violations of the spiritual law are penalized in the spirit and experienced in the natural. They're penalized in the spirit <coughs> and experience in the natural. Now, that, that in and of itself sounds like a convoluted statement. If I'm going to experience it in the natural, then why wasn't it just a violation of natural law? No. Let's take for an example something I do that is morally or spiritually corrupt that may have no natural effect. So you, you committed a sin but it, it wasn't sin you got caught with. You didn't get, you, you, you did something nefarious, but you didn't get caught by the police, or you didn't get caught with a disease, or you didn't go with that. So you still violated your spiritual covenant with God, and while there was no natural penalty in that situation, no immediate natural penalty, there is a spiritual penalty for the violation of covenant which you are going to experience in the flesh. So while you didn't get anything in the natural, because there was no disease in the body of the individual you were with, there was no uh, uh, egg uh, coming down the fallopian tube for your, your body to, to interact with in order to create new life, there was nothing there. So you didn't have a natural issue, but because you violated covenant, what you end up with is a spiritual violation which you will have imposed upon your life and you will experience it in the natural order. 
Now this is getting deep. I know I'm, I'm walking down the street that some of you don't want to walk on, but stay with me because I think I'm going to try and give you some lessons about life. What you need to know is that all of the violations, spiritual or natural, can be superseded by purpose. Watch this. Purpose sometimes supersedes immediate punishment. Purpose supersedes immediate punishment. You, you can see on some of these law shows sometimes where they'll catch the person who has per perpetrated the crime and before they put them in jail, they'll use them to catch someone else. So the purpose for the, of using them to catch someone else was more important than them just getting that person to jail because they could get another criminal off the street. So purpose in that case superseded immediate punishment. The purpose attached to the life of God's servant was of such importance that it superseded any immediate punishment, but punishment is going to come. In a nod to natural law, eventually consequences will supersede presence. Now let me just say this again. I know this, this, this is a leap, so stay close here. In a nod to natural law, Eventually, consequences will supersede presence. What do you mean, Reverend? I mean that even with God in your life, consequences can yet happen and they will supersede even the fact that God is there. In other words, God does not intervene between the consequences that you need to go through. He doesn't stop them. They're still there. And God doesn't leave you while you deal with them. <sighs> okay. So, the next idea here then is simple. God will be there with us while we deal with the negativity we have sown. Let me do it again. God will be with us. I'm going to deal with the negativity I've sown, but God is still with me. Um, you know, sometimes we think that when we are going through things, that God abandons us. No. Even when we've messed up, God doesn't abandon us. No more than most good parents will not abandon their children when they have committed crimes and done things wrong. They'll still be there with them even though they know they've got to deal with what their punishment is. So God doesn't abandon us because we messed up, but God does not let us escape the punishment either. Now he may lessen the blow, he may cushion it, and so it does not kill us, so it does not ruin us, but at the same time, some stuff is going to happen as a result of the choices we have made. So that every choice I make is going to have a consequence. Something's going to happen. 
Now I'm going to ebonically make these next three points. So trust me, I know that they're ebonic points and I, I like them this way because I want to keep my alliteration and I know what I'm trying to say. So hold on to your, your britches right now. Hold on, don't, don't get nervous. First thing I want to tell you, some of you will tell me, Reverend, oh, I'm committed to the Lord. Oh, I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. And I, Lord knows I committed my life to Christ. I committed my life back to Jesus again. Yes, I made a mistake, but I'm committed now, and I'm committed. And, and, and let me just tell you this. I want to be, be nice to you, but I got to be honest with you. Personal commitment doesn't preclude consequences. Let me say it again. Personal commitment doesn't preclude consequences. The text teaches us, then Jacob made a vow. Amplified version puts behind that word promise. He makes a commitment. Well, that's cute, Jacob. But that, that commitment and that vow is coming after the things that you have done wrong to your brother Esau. So you're making a vow now. You're making a commitment now. And God accepts it. God loves you. And God's going to receive you and all the rest. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to deal with your consequences. So if you look at, at uh, Genesis 28, 20 through 22, you see in there, that line that, is, that, that I put up the, on the screen. So he goes through his vow saying, these are the things I'm going to do if God will be with me, will keep me on, my, on this journey. This is Genesis 28, 20 through 22. I'm in the Amplified Version for this text. That I, will t I take, will give me food to eat, clothing to wear, and if he grants that, I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar, a monument, memorial, will be God's house, a sacred place to me, and everything that you give me, I will give you a tenth to you as an offering to signify my gratitude and dependence on you. God, I'm going to give you my tithe. I'm going to give you my offering to signify my gratitude. And God said, wow, great. I receive it. Hallelujah. Beautiful. But that doesn't preclude consequences, buddy. That doesn't stop you from dealing with what you have to deal with. It, it, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or God dislikes you or got mad at you. No, none of that is the case. It is just simply the fact that you have committed something in the flesh that is going to have to receive a consequence in the flesh. And that even with the love of God and the commitment you're making right now, God is not going to erase the consequence, although he erases the sin from your record. Um, you know, many times when a person has committed a, a crime, particularly first-time offenders, they will put you in a diversion program, and they will say, okay, if you do the following things, you will not only be able to, um, to get out of this situation you're in, here are the consequences for it, but we will expunge your record, meaning that it won't show up that you even did it. But you have to deal with these consequences first. House arrest, 
100 days, whatever over here, wear a monitor, be on probation, whatever it is, you got to deal with these. But if you do that, we will sponge your record so it doesn't show up. And God's been doing that all along. God said, look, you're going you're gonna to deal with consequences, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm sponging your record, I'm cleaning your record, I'm going to make your, I'm going to cast your, sea, your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. They will not come up before me again, but you still have to deal with what you've just done. See, people want to play games with God. People want to think that God's going to let them get over. And, and you know, let me tell you something. God's been giving many of us a break for many, many years. And we've been dealing with consequences and having known that we've been dealing with consequences at a lower level than even what we may have should have been dealing with. But we keep playing around, playing around, playing around, playing around till it blows up. Now, remember, Jacob makes a personal commitment. He is where God wants him to be. He is following divine guidance to get to there. He is in the place where his parents want him to go. He's in the place where he finds his wife. But at the same time, just because he's made this commitment, it doesn't preclude confidence. Verse 1 said, Jacob went on the journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Okay, you're right where you're supposed to be. You're in the place that God wants you to be in. But you got to deal with something. Let me help somebody right here. If you will simply stop trying to act like you've never made a mistake, or that there are some things that you have to deal with because of choices you made earlier, you can stop being mad at God, stop being mad at yourself, stop being mad at the situation, and deal with life. Some of us make stuff harder than it has to be because we walk around with such anger in us. We're mad with God. We're mad with everybody else because of things that we've done, things that we've said, debt we got ourselves into. God didn't get you in that debt. You got into that debt. God didn't get you into that relationship. You got in that relationship. God, put, God didn't put you in that. You, you went in that. And if you just own your stuff, I told you last time we were together, grandfather was right no matter what anyone says and no matter when he came into that knowledge, you got to understand you're going to live your life and pay your price. I live my life, I pay my price. Let me say this to you, this going to bother you, but get this now. You are living today in the choices you made years ago. You are living today in the choices you made years ago. Now, if you want the years going forward to be better, the choices you make today, you're going to live in them in 2022, in 2023, in 2024. Okay, let me give you an example. I've been eating real good. My wife just takes wonderful care of me. She makes sure I eat the right thing. I think today for lunch, I, um, I had uh, ground turkey and broccoli. That's it, ground turkey and broccoli. Wonderful meal, great, I enjoyed it, great food, everything. Okay, good meal. That's not gonna show up today. 
if I keep eating right, keep exercising, keep doing what I'm doing, that'll show up a year from now. Because where I am today is not ground turkey and broccoli. No, it's fried chicken, macaroni, cheese. It's good food. It's cake. It's it's so you have to understand, those are the choices made then. So if you want to make a change, you got to make change now. And so that you get the, the, you're living in the decisions that you made. Somebody going to talk about, well, you're, I, I don't like my hair. Well, you, you're the one that decided to change your 15 colors 15 times. Now you don't know what color your hair is anymore. You, you make a good decision, pick a color and stick with it, whatever it's going to be. You, it's up to you. You're going to live in the decision you make today, whatever that is. And guess what? Here's the thing that's going to mess you up. I know it's going to bother you. Do you know that most people don't care what you decide? The only one that's really going to care is you and those that are close to you and love you and want you to do well. So if you decide to mess up, People are going to let you do it. And people are going to accept you when you recommit. Because it's you. You're the one that's going to be in this tug of war. Okay, that's enough there. I don't want to hurt anybody. I got the word. Okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm like you. Uh, I, I think I saw a sis wrote that if, I only knew, uh, if, I, if we only knew back then yeah, what we know now, I tell you, a lot of choices would be different in your life. But now that you know, you'll do better now. You'll do better today. So number two, number two. This is important. Present conduct doesn't preclude consequences. Present conduct does not preclude con consequences. So just because you're doing good now, doesn't mean you don't have to deal with the consequences of what you did before. You, you, oh man, you're doing all the right things now. Jacob, Jacob told, said to him, said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So when, when Jacob sees this beautiful woman, he wants to marry her. He asks her father for a hand in marriage. And he says, he says, sir, I'm going to tell you what, verse 18, I love, Jacob loved Rachel. Said, I'll serve seven years. And if, and if you read the text closely, the text says Laban accepted it, said, said look, you know, give me, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. And for seven years, he worked diligently, he handled his business, he was committed, he did everything he was supposed to do, he worked hard every day because he loved the girl. Ooh, that was his boo. That was his baby. There goes my baby. He was into it. Homeboy was feeling it. He was out there working in the field, tending the sheep, fighting off lions, tigers, and bears. No matter what came up, he was handling business. He was totally committed. His conduct at that point was exemplary. So much so that the flocks were growing. The fields were blessed. Everything was going great. Listen, look, let's look at the text. So look here, verse 21. After seven years, and Jacob said to Laban, give me my baby. For my days are fulfilled that I may go to her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place 
and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her, and Laban gave his maid Zilpha to his daughter Leah as a maid. Wait a minute. He was working for Rachel, and Laban gave him Leah. Now, I didn't say anything about Leah before, but, but Rachel was the one he liked. He, he, he had a penchant for her. I don't know what it was in the eyes of, of, of Leah that did not appeal to him. But whatever it was, he, he was turned on by Rachel and not so much by Leah. And I don't know how they pulled it off. All day at the marriage feast, she must have had a veil on all day. And they must have had Rachel hidden somewhere. She was in the witness protection program. And all day at the marriage feast. And then that night, when it came time for the, for the loving, he went into the room, to the marriage bed. And he went in there and, and he just, he was with Rachel and he, yeah, he, 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 he would entered into covenant with his bride and thought he was just enjoying himself. But in the morning, in the, in the morning, when he woke up, sunlight came up, he looked over and said, oh my goodness. Yeah. Now I don't know. I, this is this text. This text has so much misogyny in it, so much patriarchy in it. Uh, th this is this is not a great text for men, because the father is dead wrong. He's put Leah in a horrible place because now she is she's in bed with a man that's that's slept with her one way because he thought he was with someone else. And now all of a sudden, she finds out that not only does he look at her different, but he looks at her in horror like he just got through sleeping with a booger bear. So she's wounded. She's hurting. Her heart is crushed. And he's upset. Wait a minute. He's been tricked. Come in, Malcolm. He's been hoodwinked, bamboozled, run amok. <laughs> the trickster got tricked. The trickster got tricked. The trickster ran into a bigger tricker than he was. He got jacked. For his woman. And so it brings me to the third point of this message. You right, poor dude. Dude, dude was upset. His heart was hurting. Let me let me let me, let me do it again. Here he goes. Number three. Passionate claims doesn't preclude consequences. Passionate claims doesn't preclude consequences. He, he made an impassioned plea to Laban. If you read the text, verse 25, he said, what is this you have done to me? Well, isn't that familiar to what Esau's claim against him? Why then have you deceived me? Isn't that similar to what Esau was done to him? He has gotten back 
in his life the deception that he put into the universe. Let me do it again. He got back into his life the deception he put in the universe. Let me, let me put it this way. There is a boomerang effect. What you send out is coming back to you. I know some of you use word like karma. I don't like to use karma only because there's an entire Eastern theology around karma that has to do with reincreate, reincarnation and those things. I don't want to use that. But the concept of what you send out is coming back is accurate in that you send out trickery, you're going to get back trickery. Yes, the trickster got tricked. Silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. Listen, you, you, he, the silly rabbit got tricked. He gets tricked. And now, he's already worked seven years. And look at the deal he ends up making. Yes, he got played. That's it, that's it. He got played. Listen, so it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not Rachel that I served you? Why then has you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done in our country. Ooh, what a lying rascal. If that was the case, why didn't you tell him that before it started? He could have made an informed decision to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me another seven years. You work seven, we're going to add seven. You work seven, we're going to add seven. Total now 14 years to get one woman. Jacob fulfilled the week, which means that he stayed in the room with her, kept acting like everything was everything. And then Laban, at the end of the time, brought Rachel up there to Jacob and said, here's your woman. And he said, but he had seven more years to work. Let me do it again. You have to understand, he has a, he has a legitimate complaint, a passionate claim. He's been mistreated. But in truth, he has received a consequence for a spirit he released by his action. Now, here, here's the fascinating part of this is the fact that, get this saints, you got to get this. God sent him there. He was where God was wanting him to be. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He, he was in the place where God wanted him to be in. But, but you're right, you're right, Deb, Deacon as Deborah. The law of reciprocity is in effect. Get this here. Divine guidance doesn't prevent past consequences from following us. Lord have mercy. Divine guidance does not prevent past consequences from following us. He was where God wanted to be, but his mess still followed him. That luggage was still clinging to him, clinging to him. But I got good news for somebody. I got good news for you. Consequences are not conclusive. 
They are one aspect of existential reality. They're not conclusive. What do you mean, Reverend? What I mean is that just because you may be dealing with a consequence doesn't mean that that's who you are or that's all you are. Jacob, if you're going to be more than a trickster, you have to handle being tricked and you have to do the right thing during these 14 years so that you can redeem yourself and become the man God wants you to be. You have to learn how to be a God man. You got to learn how to walk in respectability. You got to learn how to walk in honor. And this consequence is not conclusive. Just because you go through something doesn't mean that's who you are. Okay, so you made a mistake. You went through something. That doesn't say that's who you are. I don't care if you went to prison. That doesn't say you, you may have went to prison for being a thief or for thievery, but you don't have to be a thief. You may, have, you may have been in, in relationships before where you've done nefarious acts. Doesn't mean that you're going to be a person that's going to always do nefarious deeds. Just because you have to deal with consequences, it does not mean it's conclusive of who you are. They are one aspect of the existential reality. Yes, be careful. Remember, you sow the wind, you reap what? The whirlwind. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. You're going to get something back. You're going to deal with it. Consequences are reality to be dealt with. Experience. But they do not predict future outcomes. How you handle them does. Let me do it again. You might leave that for a second there, because you got to get this part. Consequences are reality to be dealt with, experienced, but they do not predict future outcomes. How you handle them does. So how are you going to deal with what you're going through? How are you going to deal with consequences? I don't have time to do it tonight because um, I don't want to. I don't want to keep you here all night long in this this lesson. But sometime read Second Samuel, chapter twenty-four, one through twenty-five. There's a great story there, and um, and it, it's an important story of David. And David does a thing where he messes up, and and he numbers the people. And I do believe God allowed him to do it because God wanted the people of God were out of control, out of order. But he numbers the people against God's command. And God says to him, now notice now, this is not a natural sin. So what is it? It is a spiritual sin. Therefore, it is a covenant violation between him and God. So it is a spiritual violation that is going to be dealt with in the natural. <sighs> There's nothing wrong with, with counting numbers. Nothing wrong with, with you, uh, okay, I got one person here, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nothing wrong with that. There's no, there's no sin to that. But it is a sin if God says don't do it. So it becomes a spiritual sin, not a natural violation. So that now we have a spiritual sin that is going to get a consequence 
stay with me tonight, this is deep down, that's going to get a consequence and go back to my earlier point that is going to be experienced in the natural. A spiritual sin, violation of the covenant, that's going to receive a consequence experienced in the natural. In that second Samuel passage, go down to about verse 11. Verse 10 says, David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. In other words, David, David realized in his heart, I done messed up. He felt guilty. That's what it means that his heart smote him. He, he started feeling ashamed. He started feeling guilt. He started feeling, I done messed up. Verse 11 says, For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Here, here it is. Any, many, mighty. I give you three choices. You tell me which one you want me to do. Because I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to get you. I'm going to tell you now, this, you got to deal with something. And if you look at the text, verse 13 and 14 gives it to us. 13 says, so, David came to, so Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or will thou flee three months before thy enemy while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days of pestilence in the land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me fall, let me not fall into the hands of men. Now you can read the rest of the story because I'm not going to go into it because it's not the point I'm trying to draw on tonight. What I'm trying to tell you is everything you do, there's a consequence. So I've got it, at, at, the, at least the wisdom of David in this text is that he decides that it is far better to be in the hands of God and deal with what God will do to him than it would be for him to deal with the consequences independent of God. One more example, and I'm going to close, get ready to push you to the end of this idea for the night. Some of you probably remember the story. It's found in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. You're writing, write this down. Numbers 20, verses 8 through 13. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 8 through 13, Here's the story here of God with, with Moses and Aaron. And, and God speaks to his servant, and here's what God tells him. Take the rod, gather the assembly together, and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts to drink. Now, a divine command. Clear command. Sound pretty easy to me. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he said unto them, here now, you rebels. Now you know, he got to be upset. He's mad. He calls them rebels. You rebels. Must we fetch water? You water out of this rock. And Moses lifted his hand, and with his rod, instead of speaking, what does he do? He smote the rock twice. 
water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and the beast did also. Oh, miracle, miracle. Verse 12, I told you, your choices matter. What you do with free will, it matters. God gave water to the people because that's what God would do. But look at verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Consequence known immediately. And as most of you know, the Lord allowed Moses to get right there, just on the other side of the Jordan, look over and see the promised land, look at it, and say, ooh, doesn't it look good? And the Lord said, that's enough. Come on with me. You get to see it, but you won't lead them in there. Let me tell you something. Again, this was a spiritual violation. Nothing sinful about beating a rock in the flesh. No, he violated God's covenant, commandment to him, and therefore the consequence came. There's always consequences for our actions. Let me give you this to you, and I'm getting ready to close in just a few moments. Present chicanery. Chicanery is another word for trickery. Doesn't preclude divine choice as in favor. Let me do it again. You got to get this. Present chicanery doesn't preclude divine choice as in favor. What do you mean, Reverend? Okay. David does something tricky against what God wants. Moses does something tricky against what God wants. Jacob does something tricky, and he has something tricky done to him. But it doesn't make any of them lose their favor. Each of them still possess the same anointing and divine choice over their lives. This is important because some of you, 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 get, you get freaked out when you see people who you think are, are elevated in ministry and life. They do something wrong and it still seems like they're blessed or they still seem like they're prostrated. They, they seem to be, well, oh, don't worry about them. They're going to get their consequence. But they don't, you don't lose favor because you make a mistake. You don't lose favor because you make a mistake. I know that, that hit hard. Jacob messed up. He didn't lose his favor, but he has to pay a price. You will, I promise you, pay a price in this life so that you do not have to pay a price in the life to come. So you will pay a price in the natural, in this life, to not have to pay a price 
in the life to come. But you don't lose your favor just because you made a mistake, particularly not if you have a repentant heart. And I'll, I'll, I'll break this down because this, this shakes up in a lot of different ways later on. But, but, but take this for the broader statement, then I'll, I'll, I'll make it a little more what will appear to be convoluted as I explain to you how you can get into disfavor with God. But I don't want to go there yet. I want you to see the larger concept that even after Jacob messed up and how he got this, his blessing, he was blessed. Even after that, he ended up dealing with consequences, but he still had favor, choice on his life. Listen to him. It is Jacob's favor is the driving force of Laban's prosperity. Even while he himself is experiencing the consequences of his trickery. Now this is, this is interesting. He has spent seven years building another man's flock. Then another seven years getting what he thought he was going to get after the first seven years building another man's flock. But in the whole time, God has not left him. Instead, his favor, his anointing, is what's blessing Laban's house and causing Laban to become wealthy and prosperous. Let me give you this to you. This will make you feel a little better before I get ready. God, I got to get out and close tonight. There are some things you can't change, but you can learn to live with. Some things you can't change, but you can learn to live with. What do you mean, Reverend? Well, during that, that, that nearly 20 years he's there, and I'll come back and work on this next week, during that 20 years he's there, God has given him children, sons, and a daughter. God is, God is elevating his family. He's growing his household. He's blessing him. He can't change the fact that he's been tricked. He can't change the fact that he's dealing with a consequence but in the midst of it, he learns how to deal with it. And God is blessing him and blessing the house where he's at because God's going to take care of his own people. And you have to, <laughs> to know that just because you've made a mistake does not mean that God is going to kick you to the curve, that God doesn't love you anymore, that God doesn't care about you, or that God is not going to take care of you, or that things are not. No, understand this. The favor is always fixed. You got it. The favor is there. It ain't fair, but it's fixed. God already has it in his place. And get this, the gifts and calling are without repentance. They're there. Once God has established it, it is in his life. God is going to bless him. And what he touches is going to be blessed. But what he needs to realize is, he's got to deal with the consequences. So what you and I want to deal with now is, okay, there may be some things that I've been counting as crosses that have really been crops. So God, help me deal with my crops so until I can weed my garden through my commitment, get on track, because I know you won't leave me 
even in the midst of my current situation. And with the knowledge that God won't leave you, you now can rejoice, you can celebrate and know that even if you have to deal with a consequence from a previous choice, or choices made for you or against you, God is not going to abandon you. God still loves you. Handle it, and how you handle it will demonstrate your real integrity and who you really are in God. Well, saints, that's it for tonight. I love you all with the love of the Lord. You won't change my mind. I hope you got something out of this lesson tonight. I've been enjoying it. I'm hoping you're getting this, this teaching. I know it's a little deeper than what some of y'all were expecting, but it's, it's the kind of thing you need right now. You got to get ready, handle your business, and deal with what you got to deal with, but God still loves you. Don't you ever forget God loves you, and God has promised that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but he'll be with you even until the end. You got to know who you are in God and know that God cares about you. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to know that if you love the Lord and you want to be a partner with us here in this ministry here at Shiloh, you can always join us. You can become an I member from anywhere in the world. You can become an I member from India to Indiana. You can become an I member from Australia to Africa, even to Alabama. You can become a member of our fellowship. I love you with the love of the Lord. That you can just call us, contact us here at Shiloh. You can reach us by phone or you can reach us uh, by email and we'll be glad to receive you into the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also want to give you an opportunity, saints, if you get a chance, give. You've been doing so well in blessing God and we have praised God for you. Join us in giving tonight. Mark Benevolent and tonight's offering will definitely go into the Benevolent Fund by Givelify or by mail or by Cash App. Give a love gift tonight that we can give to the world. We are trying to be a blessing to as many people as possible. Help us be that blessing. Now, finally, as I get ready to leave tonight, thank you guys. God bless you. I'm seeing you all, all your Facebook notes, so please know I can see you and I'm talking directly to you. And yes, I love you all too. My heart is going out to each one of you, and I'm so glad to be in your presence. I, I want you to tell you this, our Back to Church committee is hard work, getting us ready. Thank you so much. You can see the, the things going right there on the screen. And so I can see what you're writing during the service. Thank you so much uh, for our Back to Church committee. They've been working. I want to get you to do me a favor, fill out the survey. Join us in the survey so that we can prepare for in-person worship. I am so glad when I can actually say I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Thank you for welcoming me back. I'm glad to be back. Amen. And I want you to know the doors of the church will soon be opening for everyone to come in for in-person worship. We're going to do it in a slow methodical way and let me tell you this some of you who are not ready to come back into in-person worship no shame in your game take your time we're all getting used to this this is going to be a slow rollout but you will help us greatly if you will fill out your survey survey is in the light I don't care 
please do your best, fill it out, be a part of us so we can hear from you, so that we can serve you. The committee's gonna go through the survey. They're making recommendations all the time. They've been putting together, helping them get the facilities ready, and we are excited to get ready to welcome many of you back. But let us give you a process that we can all follow. Well, I love you all, saints. It's been a great night. As you know, the Lord has blessed us mightily. This has been another one for Jesus. And guess what? I love the Lord and I love you too. I want you to know, go in peace and the peace of God go with you. And you know what I always say, shalom.